Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This episode of 10 News First Person contains material relating to domestic violence, suicide, and mental health issues. If this raises any concerns or issues for you, please call Lifeline Australia on 131114. If domestic violence is an issue in your life, please contact the National Counselling Service 1800 Respect on 1800 737 732. This is 10 News First Person, stories that matter from the 10 News First team. I'm Neralda Jacobs, and this episode centres around an event that is sadly all too common, a woman killed in the family home by her partner. However, this wasn't just the family home. It was also the workplace of Michelle Carroll, the woman brutally murdered by her partner and boss, Stephen Hill. They worked for Stephen's financial planning business, And Stephen had become increasingly paranoid that Michelle was spying on him and conspiring to ruin him. 10 News First, Leah Harris spoke to Michelle's son Liam, who was 16 at the time of the murder. He's the one that discovered his mother's body. In the following story, we've censored the name of Liam's half-brother, who was the son of Michelle and Stephen. He was a baby at the time of his mother's death. Liam Carroll is 26 years old, living on the central coast of New South Wales with his wife and child. He's just finished an epic five-year court battle for workers' compensation. It's taken a toll on him, partly because this is not a compensation case around Liam hurting himself at work. This has to do with Liam's mother, Michelle Carroll, who was murdered at her workplace by her boss. Her boss was also her partner, and her workplace was also her home. When Liam decided to sue for compensation, the significance of the outcome was going to be big. Mum and I originally worked in... Oh, I lived in Sydney. Mum was single living in Sydney as well. She was a nurse for Prince of Wales and then became the head of Trotter data manager, yeah, trauma data manager, and ran a course called EMST, which is students who are becoming doctors, so like you have a fake patient and they'll like lay there and go through what's wrong with them and that's like the exams, mm. the practical exams, uh, and then she'd met Stephen who, through her parents, and he was their financial advisor, and then they kind of got together and then he asked for her to move up to his, which we did in uh, December 2004. 
Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. End of 2004, I started school in year five up here. Yeah, and uh, oh, it's all good for, for a fair while. And uh, I think just as time passed, he just started to lose it. Like, plot-wise, he was just not mentally stable himself. Uh, he started getting abusive and stuff, and uh, me being, like, younger, I didn't really understand, but kind of did at the same time, and then as I kind of became more of a teenager, like, I started fighting back myself. Like, um, I think it was around 2009, he started to really flip it, and was conceived through IVF. Liam is referring to his half-brother, the child of Michelle Carroll and Stephen Hill. So he was conceived and then all, all started going well, but the business wasn't going as well because he just wasn't mentally there to do financially financial advising. So mum started running the business a lot more. She was managing all the documents and uh, everything. And this, they were working for the same company? Yeah, so... He, he worked for A&P, but, like, it was his own business. You know, he had heaps of awards and done really well. And, yeah, she'd done, like, the filing, you know, make sure clients or clients he was going to go see and stuff. And then uh, around 2010, he was born or what was good. He started to lose it even more. When you say lose it, what like, was his... Like, men- like... Was he diagnosed with mental... No, because uh, no, he's really just wouldn't go see anyone, like counselling stuff. And there's probably stuff I don't really know myself or question. Um, like, he started losing weight and, like, he thought mum had cheated on him and it wasn't his, but yet they went through IVF, so obviously it was his. Then he thought that maybe the sperm bank had fucked up and they'd given the wrong one. And then, um, uh, then he thought that both myself and... Mum worked for A&P as spies to, like, dob him in for, like, illegal, you know, faking of clients and that. So he went away for two or so, for about two weeks, and Mum's brother and family came up just to, you know, see, make my little brother see how he was going and uh, all... All was good. She, he wasn't really working, so mum was running the business, trying to keep money afloat. Because um, I was we were going into financial debt, or well, not, not very good. <laughs> then he come back. And he was a bit off, a bit weird, and I was like, oh, no worries. I decided uh, get up early, go to school. I decided to walk with a group of friends, which is a nice thing. And uh, around one or two o'clock at school, I felt a little bit weird, like off. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I might go over to a mate's after school and just hang with them and then walk home because it wasn't too far, probably like two k's from my house. So it was like, oh, it wasn't a bad walk. I never, I enjoyed getting out a little bit and uh, came home and shit had gone wrong like there was like the house was flooded uh entered through the back door and came in to see what the fuck was going on 
and like mum was uh, on the ground in the bathroom dead like mutilated and he was beside her uh then he took like 400 xenex or something a whole bottle mm -hmm. or so um trying to off himself and that's why uh, he flooded the bath trying to drown himself i don't think he made it because he just passed out It's hard to imagine just what it would do to you to come home and see your mother on the floor dead, having been viciously attacked by the man who was supposed to love her, a man who is now lying on the ground right beside her, drugged. A lot of people would be blinded by rage. Others might be frozen in shock and horror. Liam ran. Forgot about he was in the crib and just like legged it to a friend's where he didn't know where it was and called the cops. The cops came, finally came by, struggled to find the address, uh, arrested him. He got done for more assault charges on police officers as they were trying to arrest him, one on the female officer. From then on, it was the court case, the big court case. Of, so he got guilty but non-guilty due to mental illness which the family was so not he, happy for. So he argued obviously that at the time he had undiagnosed mental disorders. Yeah like schizophrenia, paranoia and all that gist. Uh, and how did you feel about that? Uh, like uh, at the time I was like furious because it was yeah I'm like bullshit like he's planned not, not planned it out but like how he went about it. Mm, kind um, of like a horrific thing for you to see. Yeah. Like uh, your mum in that yeah, state. Like uh, she was still in her pajamas. So, because obviously she worked occasionally. Uh, she worked from the bedroom, having to look after, and the office being downstairs. Uh, you know, she had all the paperwork and stuff opened. Yeah, it was it was a hard thing to see. I copped nightmares for years. <laughs> years. I didn't sleep well for a long time. I can imagine. I mean, the effect that that must have on a teenager. Yeah. Seeing your mum like that. Yeah. I was 16 at the time when it all, all happened. Your brother was two months old. Mm. So he was he wasn't even, like, he doesn't, he would have no recollection, recollection of her. So you went to live with your dad after that? Happened? No, I uh, wanted to stay on the coast and finishing my schooling because mm -hmm. yeah, I'd made friends and mm. moving was not the best for me. I needed to be around friends and moving to a different state would make things yeah. difficult. I had a partner at the time so that would have even made it a bit worse. And uh, I yeah, just asked if I could stay. So. I lived with a person called Christina and she took me in with open arms, was very lovely and helpful and lived with her for a year or two and then I moved in. I moved around a bit just with other friends and family when depending where I was at mentally and schooling. Mm. But I wanted to go finish year 12 and that was my main aim 
like I always said I would so I, I did I didn't do the best in it <laughs> but say, I still I did it I don't know how you continue yeah it definitely um, ruined my schooling like uh, it was very strange so I had two weeks off school after it happened I went back to school and it was strange mm. like people weren't not no not that people were mean but people just didn't know what to do Mm. Like, everyone just kind of was distant. And I was like, I understood that. Like, Kids I don't, don't I know how to handle yeah, that. don't know. But, um... What kind of effect has it had on you? I mean, you said you had nightmares for a long time. Yeah, just didn't, like... Just didn't sleep well at all. Like, it was mostly, like, the recurring dream of, like, what I went through that day for a long time but then it'd be different scenarios so scenarios where like I'd gone through and murdered him because I went like self-defense I grabbed a knife from the kitchen mm. so I'm like nah I'm not gonna if something's happened you know I've got to be ready mm. and like he did go to grab me but he was too fucked on the ground like uh he'd put so at the time I was going away to Japan uh with the school because I was studying Japanese at the time, um, and I'd had a little money box, you know, those ones with the old notes on them, mm. um, and I, that had all my savings in it, and uh, he put that in the microwave, it exploded on him. So uh exploded, and all the glass went everywhere, and he stepped on it, so he bedded all his feet with glass, and mm. yeah, not good. <laughs> so. Like, he definitely tried to off himself at the, at the same time. Because he knew he was fucked. Mm. Fucked. Um, Conscious enough, at least, to know that. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, after he killed Mum, mutilated her, then he went through my room with, a, with the same hammer he killed her with and destroyed all my shit. And then... Probably then grabbed the money box, put it in the microwave, exploded. He just run the bath to like drown himself, and then took all these pills and probably passed out on mm. on the way. But he's like dragged her into the bathroom, got into the ensuite. So, but I thought the strangest like, uh, like they still not sure what time she died, and this was a big thing in the court case was proving a time of death because I'd left. Around seven to walk to school because school started about near uh, quarter nine or something, mm. so it gave me a good hour and a half to walk there. Um, you know, catch up with friends on the way and walk with them. And I was felt like around one or two she passed away because uh, she was like still lukewarm when I felt her, and I. And I had a weird drop gut feeling. As weird as it is to say, it was like I felt off at that felt point. Like I remember I was sitting in. Uh, I'd had had lunch. Went to do ancient history. And I remember sitting in class. I just didn't feel right. And I'm like something's wrong. And then Mum wasn't picking up her mobile after school, and I'm like, oh, I'll just catch the bus home anyway. And uh, yeah. And then I uh, came home and just grabbed my stuff and ran. It sounds like you're lucky to be alive as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like... I always... Like, I've had other dreams where I didn't make it. 
and uh, that's always a, a thought but I always think I would yeah if if it, if he did grab me I would have fought oh yeah I would have stabbed him for sure mm-hmm. like uh, no hesitations it's just yeah uh, I was angry for a long time like just very angry very angry person but how could you not be? Yeah, exactly. Like, you just... When you're trying to process what's happened, and you're like, oh, is it real? You know, has this really happened? And you wake up, and it has, you know. You know, like, I'd lost my life, essentially. Like, everything just got flipped. I was not, like, talking out. Like, but he was wealthy, and we lived wealthy. And then I'd literally, like, lost everything like all of it just lost your mother and your home my home all my stuff everything was just destroyed like my anything i'd like all my savings i'd done just gone and then uh mum had a savings account that was in my name but under hers but like uh it was like something from little you know when you have a baby and you like 10 bucks a week away for him or something like that I had to fight through courts to prove that it was mine yeah it was uh it was uh, a, a horrible time and uh it's taken a total while to get over it but you know you just gotta kind of live on and do your thing so that's you know found found a nice lady and yeah. start a family of my own and you know I've kind of been happy like I try not to live in the past so you know it's not too hard to talk about nowadays it was years ago but like now I'm like I'm older I understand what's happened and I can't do anything about it so I just continue on. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for your next favourite podcast? Why don't you head over to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. I talk to all kinds of amazing women who are making a difference. Good women, great chat. Liam's mother died at the hands of her de facto partner. The shock of this is life-changing. Now, ten years later, it's hard for Liam not to look back at what led to this devastating day. Over time, it was a very weird process of watching someone mentally lose it, yeah. in a way. Like, so it'd be like little things, so like things would go missing of ours, and then, uh, and then like, uh, it would like, they'd have a fight, and then he'd like snap mum's makeup and throw it in the pool. So like, any nice makeup she had was ruined, mm. or like one of her phones, she think he'd think it was spied on, so they'd go in the pool, or um, yeah, just. Like, uh, my phone was 
even though like phones are only just starting to excel at this point like mobiles so you had the old like flip phones like i was barred i, I didn't have uh use of text messaging that was uh barred on my phone uh the only thing i could use was phone calls yeah he barred everything on it very controlling and yeah like i didn't really have i didn't have internet that was all all barred unless i went down and used the office internet of the times of dial-up. Mm. A lot of my time was just trying to see friends or I locked myself in my room and mm. played my games as any yeah. teenager would. So you didn't get along with him for quite a while before it happened? Yeah, I, start, I started like hating him for a long time. So me and him had this little war game of chess like uh like physically we played chess together and he never he didn't like to lose to someone younger than him mm. and if i did win and outsmarted him in our game of chess i came quite good at it uh, yeah he didn't take it lightly right <laughs> like okay. i never got like i think i only ever got pushed or thrown once but that was because i stepped in the way of them fighting of him hitting her and mm. Uh, like he pushed and we left that day and I asked mum not to go back but god I'd say mum even had somewhat of Stockholm syndrome like it's really in common a, in a way yeah because like as much as people told her not to go back she went back anyway and we're like why like I know she had maybe that fear that she wouldn't have anything if she left but I would have preferred not to have had anything than to what had happened Mm. And, uh, you know, that just shows you on how mentally controlling someone can be in in that kind of yeah. mindset yeah. when just being with them for so long and then saying things are all fine and treating them nicely for a while. To get them back in and then... Yeah, and yeah. then treating them like shit again. It was like, you know, you, you think you hand everything to them on a, a silver platter and then you just pretty much rip it away. <laughs> and that's just what he kept doing and you could just see like he'd sit there and curl his hair and you could tell that just something wasn't it's not ticked right like he was just not not right in the head for sure separate from from him and and yep. the marriage what was your mum like uh strong <laughs> strong woman uh didn't really like to be told no so uh i was always told stories from dad and stuff when i was younger not that I really remembered her doing it so it'd be like uh when she was first starting to be uh a nurse and she was in nursing Prince of Wales dealt with a lot of people from uh like all the jails so like you know if they'd gotten beaten badly in jail they'd have to come in the hospital and she was dealing with them a lot and one of them was um I think hit her mm. and um you know then she got restrained and uh yeah, uh, let's just say afterwards uh, she had to take his blood and afterwards uh, they they said they'd never seen that man cry, but he cried, so she must have missed the vein a couple of times. She must have been accidentally off her game. Yeah, off her, off her game. But that, that, like, she was strong, she was hardworking. I really missed that she worked because she was good at nursing and uh, when she became, like, head of EMS, like... Uh, trauma data manager um, you know she changed a lot in the game so she was strong and mum was 
raised me for 10 years by herself like dad was around and you know came and got me on you know every second weekend or something but a lot of the time it was just her and I in a little apartment in Sydney mm. uh, it was weird to see her change like I felt I, I was losing time with her because it was either fighting sleeping working and I just slowly pushed away mm. like I know she probably didn't mean it but like that's how it end up looking or feeling which was shit but you know what can you do yeah it was uh it was all him and I could I knew that which angered me more about the situation but um yeah it wasn't it was definitely the hardest time in my life Stephen goes to trial for the murder of Michelle Carroll and is found not guilty on the grounds of mental illness. Um, yeah, but guilt. So he was proven guilty, but not guilty due to mental illness. So he got luckily locked away safely in like a psych ward in Silverwater instead of, and Long Bay, I think, he got moved to Long Bay after that instead of um, being stuck with all the other prisoners and is he still locked up like how long does he have to be in there for i think he might be on release day release or something right yeah which is like he's not allowed to be anywhere near us and i think he's on constant watch um but uh yeah i think because if he's proving mentally like he thinks it's been interesting because they like he thinks he'd just be able to go back into society and that's like no 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 it's not gonna happen like that oh my family's very pushy on him to stay locked away i mean majority of them don't even want him alive Mm. yeah i can't blame him but uh i prefer him to just rot away in a cell i kind of wish he got put away and um out with all the other prisoners once the criminal trial was over, Liam and his lawyer decided to seek compensation from the company's insurer, which was Workers' Compensation Nominal Insurer, managed by iCare, because his mother was working from home at the time she was killed. They initially refused the claim, and Liam was told it would be a tough fight, a David and Goliath battle, but they decided it was worth trying. But the, uh, the legal court case, so I had to get my own solicitor because and I both needed our own individual one because uh, we both have our own stand-ins, like, because the money ended up having to be split. He obviously got majority of it because he's younger and I completely understand that and I was fine with that. Uh, I think it got split 70-30, so 30 me, 70 to him. You know, he's got a grow up without a mum so at least you I just hope he does the right thing with his money <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so I was told you know because it happened in the workplace we were going to go through for work compensation so it was going to be a hard fight because lots of previous cases so one to me was told about a guy was on his bike uh he was on call but he was out riding his bike um they got hit by a car or something and killed. Mm. Um, and he didn't get, they didn't get work compensation because he, though he was on call, he wasn't in his place of work. 
Right, okay. Wow. So it was those little funny loopholes and these were battles that we kind of had to figure out. So um, coming up to it, John and I did a, spent a bit of time going through kind of like what I've talked with you, just going through what happened that day. When mum's uh, day would start, like, you know, it could have been early as seven o'clock as I was leaving for school, she could have started and gone down, mm. you know, fed and gone down. Um, could have started like every other day for everyone else at nine. Um, from there, she uh, could have worked till 5 p.m. Uh, all the way to like I remember going down at like seven eight and eight o'clock sometimes I'll just end up making dinner I enjoyed cooking anyway um for myself but she yeah sometimes she'd be in the office just trying to mm. keep money afloat and he would just be laying in bed right um so we we started the court case and I'd gone through my statement so Liam is now in court at the Workers' Compensation Commission, fighting to prove his mother was killed in her workplace during work hours, which also happened to be her home. Liam then tells us something truly extraordinary about being in court fighting the insurance company. So we had to, in the weird stage, Steve was on our side. Like, he couldn't get any of the money, but he had to be... So it was like three of us versus the insurance company. Well, because it's, it suited him to have someone else hold liable, right, in a way? like. Yeah, and also, well, he was proof that the office and every, the, mm. the house was also a work from home. Like, mm. the whole office, bottom bottom floor of the house, was an office. Yeah. Like, the two other stories were just normal house. Mm. But... Um, also from showing that she'd worked. Mm. But he, he he couldn't get any of the money. I think he ended up knowing that. Stephen Hill, the man that had murdered Liam's mother, was on his side in a court battle and testifying for him. Why did he do this? Was it motivated by remorse or was he trying to shift the responsibility? So we end up fighting, going, OK, let's appeal it. We'll see how it goes. It's got to be hard. Like, you know, we're already a step behind now. So we appealed it, the Court of Appeal found us in favour mm-hmm. and went for a retrial. So it got retrialed. Fair few months later, I think God, it would have been another half a year or so. Mm. Um, maybe even nearly a year before we got retrialed. We had our second arbitrator. It was weird because I went in there and it almost felt like uh, for a while that I was the bad guy, like I'm trying to get this money out of these insurance companies and I've done the wrong thing, but, and they're always like, no, you, it's not you, I'm like, well, why are you fighting it? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's not like you guys can't afford, uh, you know, 450 odd thousand dollars out of your millions of dollars, billions. The case went through the courts for five years. One of the main points of contention was the time that Michelle Carroll died and whether or not it was during work hours. The coroner wasn't able to determine the exact time of death, but Liam's testimony as the person who found her body proved crucial. An arbitrator eventually ruled in Liam's favour that she died during work time, But the insurer appealed and it ended up at the New South Wales Supreme Court. 
but uh, a lot of the argument was around just her time of death mm-hmm. was like you know they're saying oh she started if she died they tried to say that she passed away at like not long after I left for school which was from the evidence not true like they tried to say she probably died around eight mm. and we're like, I'm like she wouldn't be lukewarm by the time I got home at four Mm. 3.34 so um, but like even the coroner couldn't figure out the time of death it was just my my evidence which or my statement which kind of pushed it along and then they decided to dispute it again they went to the Supreme Court they found again in our favour and then I think COVID had happened Obviously, it could be interesting to see if they're going to push it to the high courts, and obviously, you've got to have a very good reason to go to the high courts. And um, no, they end up just handing it over, which was a good feeling of after you know, God, ten years of my life of just courts, it was finally done. I could actually like that part of my life. I could just finally push away, which was the the nicest part of relief. Other mm. than like having a bit of financial uh, support now but yeah for me it was just mostly that I didn't have to you know go continue going through all this court bullshit Mm. Uh, I really wish that I found it pretty funny for uh, an insurance company called iCare that they fought so much (laughs) it was ironic it was ironic Um, but I hope that like all this helps others I understand like domestic violence getting worse um people go now work from home being COVID and you know if I can be a voice uh and you know a reason for other people to get help why not the case is considered a game changer by domestic violence advocates who hope it will prompt workplaces to take more responsibility for their employees who are experiencing domestic violence, especially with so many of us now working from home. Here's Hayley Foster from Women's Safety New South Wales. We think this is a really significant case because we see that employers have a really important role to play in ensuring that domestic and family violence um, is stamped out. We really saw a recognition of a duty of care Um, in this case where the employer was regarded as having a duty of care for the employee to be safe in the workplace and that included to be safe from violence and abuse. And what kind of repercussions do you think this could or should have going forward? I think it uh, will give employers pause to think about uh, what it means to be safe in the workplace. It'll, It'll make employers think about Um, you know, beyond ergonomics, beyond uh, privacy and all the other things that they need to think about in terms of workplace safety. And they'll have to start thinking about safety from violence and abuse, uh, especially in a world where so many more of us are working from home. Uh, So I do think uh, that workplaces are going to be starting to think more broadly about this issue. Um, And I think that's a great thing. What are the kinds of things that workplaces could do to prevent a case like this? Yeah, look, there's some really simple things. So, for example, when, you know, deciding whether somebody uh, is safe to work from home, uh, 
we often have a checklist and look at um, do a safety audit uh, and one of the things we could include on that safety checklist is are you safe uh, from violence and abuse at home that's as simple as that uh, and making sure that uh, it's confidential and safe to be able to make that disclosure uh, we'd also like to see managers be trained in how to receive a disclosure of domestic and family violence. We know that a lot of uh, the victims and survivors that we work with and support um, often are really reluctant to disclose that in the workplace because they're not quite sure what kind of response they're going to get. Uh, and so if they know that their managers are trained and that they're going to get a really appropriate uh, and supportive response from their employer, they're much more likely to feel comfortable in disclosing that. This particular case, like you said, obviously you have workplaces who come to you and they want to do what they can do um, for domestic violence. A lot of workplaces though need perhaps the threat of being held liable like this company was to really do something. What would you say to them in regards to this decision to urge them to do something? Yeah, look, what we would say to them is there is a duty of care. We already know that we have to look at the psychological care and stresses um, in the workplace. Um, what we would say to employers like that is that uh, this case shows that you must ensure the safety of your employees regardless of where they, where they are located and that is an obligation. So an employee, for example, um, is saying that they are uh, at risk of violence and abuse if they are sent home to work, then that is not a safe workplace and there's an obligation on you as an employer to provide a safe alternative workspace. And if something happens after you've already been made aware that it's not safe, you could be held responsible? I wouldn't want to be in that position as an employer. Liam hopes his case will help other victims and prompt changes to workplace accountability in the future. But after 10 years, the decision has been a relief for him. That chapter of his life is now over and he's looking forward to focusing on his own new family. That was a really nice thing about my case, even though years of hard times and like fighting and arguing and reasons and finding things unfair and why shouldn't they just be paid out, it's kind of like, well, now people have something lean towards it. Like, yeah, uh, well, it's better than a payout. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's legal precedent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, and hopefully, like, insurance companies themselves are more understanding now. I think that's why I was so angry about the case. It was like, I literally have lost my mum. I've lost everything. You guys are arguing this fact for a measly, not even 500,000, not even half a million dollars, and you guys have taken this call for five years. For what? Not even a dent in your pockets. Yeah. And from what you've told me about your mum, it sounds like she would have been proud that you've kept fighting. Yeah. Like, I think she would be happy that we haven't just been left with nothing. Because that was it. Like, mum, they couldn't find mum's will, so everything was an uproar of, like, what we got. And I think that's why the bank just took everything. Because they were just like, well, don't know what's hers. And yeah, that was a. I was. There's been some hard times where I'm like, is it even worth it? <laughs> but I'm happy that we end up fighting through. Like, that's the thing. I've always thought I'm like, actually, we won against an insurance company. And that was a big thing mm. to us. Like, not many people can say that.
and now yeah again other people can rely on this case now and I think you telling your story you know like it it could could be one person that watches it and it helps them or many more well that's why I hope like that it does that people will you know maybe see this or listen and go yep I'm going to get up and leave or just I'm going to do something or you know, maybe look and think about it, or just go see counsel. Like, more, more so. I just hope that uh, people take it seriously and actually just say it. Like, if there's domestic violence, they need to just talk about it. Like, not just go palm it off. Things will be okay because it doesn't happen like that. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, you just get like you see people slowly changing from it and it's it's not good like it really physically and mentally affects people and you know i'd lost my life because of it and all because mum didn't want to talk up Mm. and even the family telling her to talk up they still didn't like i think people gotta stop going oh you know she's just complaining that life's not that hard or blah 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 it's no like if he's been or vice versa if she's been abusive to him you know because it does happen the other way around like you need to say something and do something about it not just sit there fiddling your thumbs hoping that things will change in a week or two because it doesn't yeah you can't just stall things up otherwise yeah you're gonna end up in a similar your kids will end up in a similar situation to me and it's been hell a long 10 years I can't believe it's already been 10 years, but yeah, it's been like a long time of court, stress, school affected, um, sleeping affected, eating affected, everything. Mm. And like, I, you know, I was pretty young. And like, like my little brother doesn't and never even got to meet his mum and his father is the one that done it and locked in jail. So God, when he finally, you know, was told the full story. Yeah. You're old enough to be to understand. It's How's gonna, he gonna cope with that? It's mm. gonna rattle some mm. something pretty bad. And uh, I think you've coped amazingly well. Oh, I well, mean, thank you've you. got a lovely little family here, <laughs> yes. and you yeah. know you've managed to come out the other side. Yeah, we we like the. Uh, I stay strong. I think I learnt that from my mum. I like to stay strong. I just wish she was stronger in the end than not letting, like, she should just talk to someone, which, or just left. You may lose everything, but prefer to have your kids and, and just have them lose you. Statistics tell us that 2.2 million Australians have been affected by domestic violence, One in six women have experienced physical or emotional violence from a current or ex-partner. These statistics are overwhelming enough. But with the number of people now making their home their workplace as a result of the COVID pandemic, what will this mean for those statistics? According to Human Resources Institute Chief Executive Sarah McCann-Bartlett, The ruling could force workplaces to rethink their policies 
and ensure a working-from-home environment is also free from domestic violence, because if they don't, they could now be legally held responsible. When you have employees working from home, uh, most businesses um, will have a working from home checklist. Now that checklist is not just about the physical aspects of the workplace including a desk and a chair and the uh, eye height of your computer. Um, that will now include broader issues around a safe working environment including whether there are any risks such as from domestic violence. But this case means that employers should be reviewing their working from home health and safety checklists and making sure that they include questions around other issues that may be driving towards an unsafe workplace. And they also need to talk to employees about what a safe workplace is and describe that uh, this does include domestic violence. They also need to be able to provide a safe place and a safe way for employees to report that they feel at risk from domestic violence. If that's the case, then the employer would be under an obligation to find an alternative workplace other than the home. I think um, it's also important to add that um, there is an obligation on the employee as well um, to also disclose that um, they don't feel safe in the home and that they do need an alternative um, workplace. For Liam, he can now try to get on with the rest of his life. Like definitely at 16, like I had suicidal thoughts for, for sure. But I never went through with anything, just because that's not what Mum would have wanted. So, and there was no like, you know, I knew I had to just at least try and make her proud in my own ways, which was, which I, I tried, <laughs> I tried. Mm. <laughs> like, you know, I definitely make mistakes and that, but like, you know, it definitely shows me like I would never want another woman or even another person to go through what I've been through or what my mum had been through so I just tried or like you know I treat like my wife the way I would wanted my mum to have been treated not mm. like a piece of trash in the end. story was by Leah Harris. Please have a listen to Leah's Where's William Tyrrell podcast, the story of the boy who disappeared from the yard of his grandmother's home in 2014. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts and on the 10 Speaks page on 10 Play. This episode was produced and edited by Stuart Buckland. If domestic violence is an issue in your life, please reach out to Domestic Violence Services. If you're in immediate danger, call triple zero. To access 24-7 counselling and support, call 1800RESPECT on 1800 737 732. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.